Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Good morning. My name is Dale Williams. I apologize for my voice. I've had a cold all week and I wished it was gone, but in my ears I sound terrible. So I hope it's not that bad for you this morning. I have a question for you. <clears throat> How many of you, seriously, would like to grow deeper in your walk with Christ? Now that's hardly a fair question, <laughs> because who of you, or any of us, were going to say, no, I don't want to grow deeper in my walk with Christ? Who would ever say that? Yet many of us say we want to grow spiritually, but we have no concrete plans or steps to take that would move us forward. It's like having a desire or some project or goal to say, read a new book, but then you never schedule any time on your agenda to read. And so it's no more than just wishful thinking. And for some of us, growing deeper in Christ is just wishful thinking because we never take any practical, concrete steps to do that. And yet, I'm encouraged because at the beginning of this series on the book of Philippians, on June 6th, many of you made the commitment to pursue a deeper walk with Christ. It was a moving time when so many of you gathered here at the front of the church and we dedicated ourselves to seeking his face and asking us him to grow us deeper in our study of the word and in our relationship with him through this book of Philippians. And we took communion together and we made a serious pledge to pursue Christ in a deeper way in our lives this summer. Well, this Sunday, and the text before us, is one of those texts that I believe God can use to move us forward. This text relentlessly focuses on the condition of our heart, and some heart surgery may be necessary. So may I invite you to sit up and take notes, get out your study booklet, and let's see how we could walk closer with Christ in our fellowship here in this church. The text begins <clears throat> with this big word, 
so. It's a word that almost sounds ominous. <laughs> it reminds me of my history professor. I had one back in seminary. He was a good professor, and he taught history, and he could tell a good story. And so he would spend each hour telling some episode or some event or the story of some person's life, and he would revere and go through all the events, yada, 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 yada. And then he would pause, and we knew it was time to wake up and pay attention, and he would weigh. So, and we knew this is when he got to the con conclusion. He would say, here's the deal. And he would pose a dilemma about that event or that person. Or he'd give us the grand conclusion or the lesson that we would out, should get out of that episode. So, always introduced us to the big idea, to the big question of the day. And so I think that's how this text is. So, Paul is saying, I've got something important to say to you. <laughs> it's based on what I've just said, but now pay attention. Therefore, there's something I need to tell you. But amazingly, he doesn't go right to it. Instead, he gives this big if clause. If there's any encouragement, if there's, and before he gets to the main idea, so he doesn't go right, right to it. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, you see, Paul is going to say something pretty heavy and hard for the church. But first, he wants to give us some kind of word of encouragement something about the reality of God's love and his compassion and his grace in our lives. Isn't that a wonderful principle? Rather than laying down the law, he gives us the basis and the foundation of the command. He takes time to explain why it's important and how it's possible to do this. Wouldn't it be good if we would put that into practice as parents with our kids? <clears throat> Rather than pound the our fist on the table and saying to our kids, you must do this, we would take a little time to explain how this rule fits into the big picture and how with God's help we can do this. And so Paul <clears throat> He lavishes on the church at Philippi these four words of encouragement. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, <coughs> if any fellowship of the Spirit, <coughs> if any affection and sympathy. Now, when he says if, <coughs> He's not questioning the existence of these acts of grace from God to his people. <coughs> he isn't saying, 
Well, maybe there is. And if there is, then do this. No, in fact, he is assuming that it is true. That we should probably put it this way. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy. Paul is talking about his experience of grace in this fellowship of the Philippian church. Christ ministered to them, and he's ministering to us through you. <clears throat> you minister to each other the grace of God. You know, life in this church is something very precious and very sweet because of the grace and the love and compassion of the people of this church. Life in the fellowship of LifePoint is characterized, I think, often by encouragement and comfort and fellowship and affection and sympathy. And I am so grateful to God for these kinds of acts of grace among us. <clears throat> Let me just give you a concrete example. It's the story of John and Barb Reed. Last week, they've celebrated their 66th wedding anniversary. Now, they don't get off out, yes. They don't get out very often because of their health. And one of our care teams, led by Sue Jensen, was calling them and praying with them and found out about this, this event in their life. And John was saying, I just don't know how we're going to celebrate because we can't go out to eat. And so Sue got this great idea. I'm going to fix an Italian meal just for them. And so she did that, and along with Lionel Dara, they took over an Italian meal and served it to them for their 66th wedding anniversary. And when I talked to John this last week, he said, you know, we're just still delighted. We're just lifted up. He said, I cannot tell you how uplifting this was. Every morning since then, I, we just wake up lifted and enjoying what God has done to us through this church because of this act of encouragement, because of the comfort that they received, because they were loved. That's the kind of fellowship we are a part of, and that's the kind of a fellowship that Paul was talking about. Comfort of love, the delight that comes from being loved. The card ministry from sharing the love and our care teams, and they send them out, <coughs> sorry, to so many people every week. People who are sick, people who are shut in, people who are facing difficult times. And they receive these handmade, and I mean professionally handmade cards, with expressions of love and prayer for each other in our church. We live in a church 
that fellowships with the Spirit. And I can say that personally. This last week with this cold, there were days when I could not think straight. <laughs> and I thought, how in the world am I going to preach and make any sense whatsoever? And yet as people prayed, I sensed God clearing my mind and giving me the ideas so that it wasn't just me doing, working over text. It was a partnership with the Spirit. It's the same word that he uses in Philippians chapter 1, verse 4. It's the partnership of the Spirit as we love each other and we share with each other. That's the kind of fellowship that we are in. And by every step we take and every thing that we do and every project that we have in this body, we need to believe that the Holy Spirit is a part of it. He's partaking together with us. He is involved in our lives. He lives in us. We do not live on our own. There is also this affection and sympathy. Now, in the Old English, it says there are bowels of mercy. <laughs> Maybe that was a good translation years, centuries ago, but I don't think we'd say it that way today. But it does say a gut-level kind of affection for one another, a, a kind of deep felt sympathy for each other. As we're led by the Spirit, as we encourage one another, as we care for one another. And this is the background, this is the environment in which we are to receive this command from Paul and from Christ. In this fellowship, we then are now to receive what Paul wants to tell us. So, given all of this encouragement, given all that Christ has done for us, given all of the grace that we have received, given all of the love that we have received from each other, given all of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, here is what I want you to do. Fulfill my joy <coughs> by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In order to understand that command, that's the big idea. We need to understand the context here of where he's coming from. So, now remember in the last week, last week Andrew shared with us the last part of chapter 1. And in that section, Andrew explained to us what Paul was talking about. And I think it would be helpful for us to put it on the board, on the screen again, so we can see it as he so ably laid out. <clears throat> this is the first commandment that he gave in the book of Philippians. 
<coughs> and here is his command in chapter 1, verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And how is that to be done? By standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and by not being frightened or fearful of your opponents. They're on the screen, they're underlined. That's what he said. And now he says, and so, he continues, therefore, because of this, this is what I want you to do. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. So you notice the flow of argument here. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, which is characterized by one mind, one spirit, striving side by side, and by fearlessness before the opponents. Therefore, do this. Have the same mind. Have the same love. Be of full accord. In other words, make this unity of mind and spirit and love and striving together a priority in your life. <clears throat> it may seem like, well, that's just a lot of repetition, isn't it? It seems like he's saying the same thing over and over again. Be of one mind. Be united. They are closely related. But Paul is saying, they're not just frivolous talk here. I want you to understand why this is so important. I want you, first of all, to fulfill my joy. When you do this, you are filling up my bucket of happiness, so to speak. Now, in the first chapter, he said, I rejoice in you. I'm pleased with you. You give me joy in every time I pray for you. But if you do this, it would fill my cup to the brim. We need to fill our cup with this kind of commitment to unity. But what is he saying here? Be of the same mind. He's repeated that several times. It's repeated twice in this command. Be of one mind. Have the same mind. Now, what in the world does that mean? <clears throat> in fact, in later, in the next verse in this sermon that we'll hear next week, it says that this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is this mind? Well, the Greek word is phronuantes. I show off with that. Actually, there is no good translation for that word in Greek. No good English translation for that. The word mind. It just, we just don't have a good word to express 
what it's trying to say. It's much more than having the same ideas. It's not talking about this, having the same football team or eating the same food or liking the same music. It's not being same in our mind. It means a mental disposition in one direction, if we could put it that way. You need a whole phrase. It means to have the same mental orientation, the perspective, an attitude set, a mindset, I guess, is maybe as close as we can get. I might translate it, therefore, as a mindset. And let this mindset be in you. And what is this mindset that he's asking us to have? Well, it's love. He says it in the next phrase, have the same love, have the same devotion to each other, be devoted to strive together, have this mind orientation together within you. Maybe an illustration would help. Our mission, as when we were missionaries in Africa, was world venture. And back in the 1980s, we went through a very dramatic shift in our constituents. Because you see, the mission had been founded in 1943, yes, during World War II. And immediately after the war, a whole flood of candidates had applied to the mission and were sent to many countries around the world. At one point, they had over 600 missionaries serving around the world in many countries. But in the 1980s, those missionaries began to retire. And it was like a max, mass exodus of personnel. All at once, all of, every, all of them were retiring. And it was a natural exodus, restriction of people and ministries, and yes, of finances. And many people were beginning to think the mission may not survive. They were recruiting new missionaries, yes, but not nearly enough to replace all those who were leaving and retiring. And it was at that point that the board of directors of the mission changed the way we looked at the future. They said, we are positioning ourselves for growth into the future. They explained that we were not going to try to maintain what we once had. We were not going to withdraw and try to just get by with what we had left. But instead, we were going to have the attitude and the focus from now on of planning and preparing for strategic growth into the future. And that change of attitude from defeat and withdrawal to one of positive advance and growth saved the mission, I think, and helped it maintain its status as one of the major missions in the U.S. today. And that is exactly what we are doing here in our church in the last couple of years. 
the last couple of years after COVID, we have tried to refocus our mindset. A couple of years ago, we adopted the slogan to re-engage, and we were inviting people to come back as COVID declined. People had, had were afraid to come out, but now we needed to re-engage. And this last year, we're focusing on re-equip and training new people. In every, in every ministry, in every aspect, we have this mindset to re-equip and to challenge and to prepare new leaders in our ministry. These are more than just slogans. They are a mindset that unites us and draws us together. They are the disp disposition of our mind that draws, drives us to serve Christ and to serve each other. One mind means to have a mindset focused on love and service for one another. And what is that attitude or mental disposition? It is for love love one another, one in love, one in respect for each other. It is a willingness to submit to the team in order to live in full accord. Having full accord, even if it means giving up some of my preferences and my rights, I put the team first. Let me give a summary of what I think this main idea in this text is saying, have a humble mindset of love and respect that serves others even at great cost to yourselves. It's on the screen now. Let me repeat it. Have a humble mindset of love and respect that serves others even at great cost to yourself. So, there's the big deal. Why is this so important? Remember in the text from last week, our unity and our love for each other needs to be done in a way that is fitting and appropriate to the gospel. It should be done in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. An attitude of love and respect for each other as we serve the Lord on the same team. We do this because it adorns the gospel. But we also need to add the Lord's Prayer in John 17, as he prayed for the future of the believers. He prayed that they would be one, just as he and the Father are one, so that the world might believe that the gospel is true. John 17, verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, he said, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world 
will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as you, as we are one, I and them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Why is this important? Because it is the credibility of our witness to the world that is at stake. By our love for each other, they know that our witness and our words are true. It's not some story we made up. The fellowship and service we do together has great effect. It affects the success of our ministry and our service to the world. It is so important that we need to remember just how we're going to maintain this. How did you get along with bristly, porcupinish people? How do you love people who sometimes are high maintenance? How do you love people when they just stretch your patience? Let's be serious. It's easy to say this command, but it's very hard to put into practice. And that's why Paul adds these next two verses with some advice that's very piercing. And here's where the heart surgery may come in. How are we to maintain and build this kind of commitment of respect and love for one another as we serve the Lord? Paul puts quite a contrast between the proud person and the humble, contrite person. First, he says, the proud person acts out of rivalry and conceit. He's already talked about this kind of rivalry, this competition. He said, he mentioned it in earlier in chapter one, when he said there were some who were preaching the gospel out of rivalry because they wanted to compete with Paul. They wanted to be better than Paul. They wanted to be more famous than Paul. They wanted to have the attention more than Paul. And in verse 15, he said, they were preaching, but nevertheless, they were preaching the gospel and I rejoice in that. But rivalry, it's a selfish ambition. It's an attitude that doesn't respect the team or others. It's drawing attention to yourself. It's an attitude that says, notice me and what I'm doing. It's an attitude that says, I need the attention. I need the respect. Look what I'm doing. The church is, they should be grateful to have me around. Conceit is just simply pride, ugly pride. The attitude that believes that I am better than others. 
the attitude that, dri that drives us to need recognition and appreciation. It's an attitude of self-righteousness. I'm never wrong, looks down on others. And Paul draws a sharp contrast between that proud person and the humble, contrite person. In chapter 3, or verse 3, the humble person counts others as more significant than themselves. They esteem others, all others, to be better than themselves. They desire to promote others and deny themselves. It's hard to put into words. Consider others as more significant than yourselves. But let me try to paraphrase it this way. A humble person considers the other person worthy of his service. Always. Consider the success of the other person. Don't look just on your own interests and how it's going to affect you and how it might provoke, promote you or how much it might cost you. But look also on the interests of others. Nancy DeMoss published a book titled, The Heart God Revives. And in it, she contrasts these two types of people, the proud person and the humble, contrite, and broken person. One chapter in that book is just simply the list of these questions, pointed questions, that help us to examine our own heart and where we stand in our commitment and attitude towards one another. A week ago, our staff gathered, and we used some of these questions to examine our own heart. And I can tell you it was sort of a painful time of heart surgery, but it was so helpful. And this morning, I want to put some of these questions on the screen for you. I'm going to ask Christine to come to the piano. And I want these questions to be a time of reflection. Get your booklet out and write them down. They contrast the proud person and the broken person. Quietly before God, think about the question and where you fit into it. Proud people, 
are self-righteous. They look down on others. Broken people esteem all others better than themselves. Second question. Proud people have a drive to be recognized and appreciated for their efforts. Broken people have a sense of their own unworthiness. They are thrilled that God would use them at all. Third question. Proud people have a critical fault-finding spirit. They look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but they look at their own with a telescope. Broken people are compassionate. They have the kind of love that overlooks a multitude of sins. They can forgive much because they know how much they have been forgiven. We maintain the unity of the body of Christ through a mindset of humility, of love and respect for each other. We love and we encourage others because we have received so much of His grace ourselves. Church is not about how much we can get out of it. Life in the church is about how much we can serve others, even when it costs us a lot. Let this sink deep into your heart. Have a humble mindset of love and respect that serves others, even at great cost to yourselves. At the end of the service, we have a bookmark with all of these questions and you can receive a copy for yourself. But I offer this to you with this challenge. Within the next 24 hours, make some time alone with your own heart to examine how you are living together in the body how you are relating to others, how you are maintaining the unity of this body by your love and respect for others. How much are you willing to sacrifice in order that they might grow in Christ? Father, we recognize the pride that's hidden in our own hearts 
the pride that hinders our unity and our fellowship in our church. And we admit that way too often, we are the proud people. We are the ones who want appreciation and attention. And we are the ones who are critical of others. And we are the ones who want to shine brightly thinking that everyone else is less than we are. Oh, God, have mercy. Cleanse us, humble us, so that we might together demonstrate for the world the truth of your grace that in Christ we are forgiven and in Him there is eternal life. We pray in the name of Jesus, whom we love more than ever before. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.